Section ten of When God Laughs by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Section ten. The Francis Spate. A true tale retold. The Francis Spate was running before it solely under a mizzen top sail when the thing happened. It was not due to carelessness so much as to the lack of discipline of the crew and to the fact that they were indifferent seamen at best. The man at the wheel in particular, a limerick man, had had no experience with salt water beyond that of rafting timber on the Shannon between the Quebec vessels and the shore. He was afraid of the huge seas that rose out of the murk astern and bore down upon him, and he was more given to cowering away from their threatened impact than he was to meeting their blows with the wheel and checking the ship's rush to broach too it was three in the morning when his unseamanlike conduct precipitated the catastrophe at sight of a sea far larger than its fellows he crouched down releasing his hands from the spokes the francis spate sheered as her stern lifted on the sea receiving the full fling of the cap on her quarter the next instant she was in the trough her lee rail buried till the ocean was level with her hatch combings sea after sea breaking over her weather rail and sweeping what remained exposed of the deck with icy deluges the men were out of hand helpless and hopeless stupid in their bewilderment and fear and resolute only in that they would not obey orders some wailed others clung silently in the weather shrouds and still others muttered prayers or shrieked vile imprecations and neither captain nor mate could get them to bear a hand at the pumps or at setting patches of sails to bring the vessel up to the wind and sea inside the hour the ship was over on her beam ends the lubberly cowards climbing up her side and hanging on in the rigging when she went over the mate was caught and drowned in the after cabin as were two sailors who had sought refuge in the forecastle the mate had been the ablest man on board and the captain was now scarcely less helpless than his men beyond cursing them for their worthlessness he did nothing and it remained for a man named mahoney a belfast man and a boy o'brien of limerick to cut away the fore and mainmasts this they did at great risk on the perpendicular wall of the wreck sending the mizzen topmast overside along in the general crash the francis spate righted and it was well she was lumber laden else she would have sunk for she was already waterlogged the mainmast still fast by the shrouds beat like a thunderous sledge-hammer against the ship's side every stroke bringing groans from the men day dawned on the savage ocean and in the cold gray light all that could be seen of the francis spate emerging from the sea were the poop the shattered mizzenmast and a ragged line of bulwarks it was midwinter in the north atlantic and the wretched men were half dead from cold but there was no place where they could find rest every sea breached clean over the deck washing away the salt incrustations from their bodies and depositing fresh incrustations the cabin under the poop was awash to the knees but here at least was shelter from the chill wind and here the survivors congregated standing upright holding on by the cabin furnishings and leaning against one another for support in vain mahoney strove to get the men to take turns in watching aloft from the mizzenmast for any chance vessel the icy gale was too much for them and they preferred the shelter of the cabin 
O'Brien, the boy, who was only fifteen, took turns with Mahoney on the freezing perch. It was the boy, at three in the afternoon, who called down that he had sighted a sail. This did bring them from the cabin, and they crowded the poop rail and weather mizzen shrouds as they watched the strange ship. But its course did not lie near, and when it disappeared below the skyline, they returned to shivering in the cabin, not one offering to relieve the watch at the masthead. By the end of the second day, Mahoney and O'Brien gave up their attempt, and thereafter the vessel drifted in the gale, uncared for and without a lookout. There were thirteen alive, and for seventy-two hours they stood knee-deep in the sloshing water of the cabin floor, half-frozen, without food, and with but three bottles of wine shared among them. All food and fresh water were below, and there was no getting at such supplies in the waterlogged condition of the wreck. As the days went by, no food whatever passed their lips. Fresh water, in small quantities, they were able to obtain by holding a cover of a tureen under the saddle of the mizzenmast. But the rain fell infrequently, and they were hard put. When it rained, they also soaked their handkerchiefs, squeezing them out into their mouths or into their shoes. As the wind and sea went down, they were even able to mop the exposed portions of the deck that were free from brine and so add to their water supply. But food they had none, and no way of getting it, though the seabirds flew repeatedly overhead. In the calm weather that followed the gale, after having remained on their feet for ninety-six hours, they were able to find dry planks in the cabin on which to lie. But the long hours of standing in the salt water had caused sores to form on their legs. These sores were extremely painful. The slightest contact or scrape caused severe anguish and in their weak condition and crowded situation they were continually hurting one another in this manner not a man could hove about without being followed by volleys of abuse curses and groans so great was their misery that the strong oppressed the weak shoving them aside from the dry planks to shift for themselves in the cold and wet the boy o'brien was specially maltreated though there were three other boys it was o'brien who came in for most of the abuse there was no explaining it except on the ground that his was a stronger and more dominant spirit than those of the other boys and that he stood up more for his rights resenting the petty injustices that were meted out to all the boys by the men whenever o'brien came near the men in search of a dry place to sleep or merely moved about he was kicked and cuffed away in return he cursed them for their selfish brutishness and blows and kicks and curses were rained upon him miserable as were all of them he was thus made far more miserable and it was only the flame of life unusually strong in him that enabled him to endure as the days went by and they grew weaker their peevishness and ill-temper increased which in turn increased the ill-treatment and sufferings of o'brien by the sixteenth day all hands were far gone with hunger and they stood together in small groups talking in undertones and occasionally glancing at o'brien it was at high noon that the conference came to a head the captain was the spokesman all were collected on the poop men the captain began we have been a long time without food two weeks and two days it is though it seems more like two years and two months we can't hang out much longer it is beyond human nature to go on hanging out with nothing in our stomachs there is a serious question to consider whether it is better for all to die or for one to die we are standing with our feet in our graves 
if one of us dies the rest may live until a ship is sighted what say you michael behane the man who had been at the wheel when the francis spate broached to called out that it was well the others joined in the cry let it be one of the boys cried sullivan a tarbert man glancing at the same time significantly at o'brien it is my opinion the captain went on that it will be a good deed for one of us to die for the rest a good deed a good deed the men interjected and it is my opinion that tis best for one of the boys to die they have no families to support nor would they be considered so great a loss to their friends as those who have wives and children tis right very right very fit it should be done the men muttered one to another but the four boys cried out against the injustice of it our lives is just as dear to us as the rest of yous o'brien protested and our families too as for wives and childer who is there saving meself to care for me old mother that's a widow as you know well michael behane that comes from limerick tis not fair let the lots be drawn between all of us men and buys mahoney was the only man who spoke in favour of the boys declaring that it was the fair thing for all to share alike sullivan and the captain insisted on the drawing of the lots being confined to the boys there were high words in the midst of which sullivan turned upon o'brien snarling would be a good day to put you out of the way you deserve it twould be the right way to serve you and serve you we will he started toward o'brien with intent to lay hands upon him and proceed at once with the killing while several others likewise shuffled toward him and reached for him he stumbled backwards to escape them at the same time crying that he would submit to the drawing of the lots among the boys the captain prepared four sticks of different lengths and handed them to sullivan you're thinking the drawing'll not be fair the latter sneered to o'brien so it yourself'll do the drawing to this o'brien agreed a handkerchief was tied over his eyes blindfolding him and he knelt down on the deck with his back to sullivan whoever you name for the shortest stick will die the captain said sullivan held up one of the sticks the rest were concealed in his hand so that none could see whether it was the short stick or not and whose stick will it be sullivan demanded for little johnny sheehan o'brien answered sullivan laid the stick aside those who looked could not tell if it were the fatal one sullivan held up another stick whose will it be for george burns was the reply the stick was laid with the first one and a third held up and whose is this one for myself said o'brien with a quick movement sullivan threw the four sticks together no one had seen tis for yourself you've drawn it sullivan announced a good deed several of the men muttered o'brien was very quiet he arose to his feet took the bandage off and looked around where is it he demanded the short stick the one for me the captain pointed to the four sticks lying on the deck how do you know the stick was mine o'brien questioned did you see it johnny sheehan johnny sheehan who was the youngest of the boys did not answer did you see it o'brien next asked mahoney no i didn't see it the men were muttering and growling twas a fair drawing sullivan said ye had your chance and ye lost that's all of it a fair drawing the captain added didn't i behold it myself 
the stick was yours o'brien and ye may as well get ready where's the cook gorman come here fetch the tureen cover some of ye gorman do your duty like a man but how'll i do it the cook demanded he was a weak-eyed weak-chinned indecisive man tis a damned murder o'brien cried out i'll have none of it mahoney announced not a bite shall pass me lips then tis your share for a better man than yourself sullivan sneered go on with your duty cook tis not me duty the killin of buys gorman protested irresolutely if yous don't make mate for us we'll be makin mate of yourself behane threatened somebody must die and as well you as another johnny sheehan began to cry o'brien listened anxiously his face was pale his lips trembled and at times his whole body shook i signed on as a cook gorman announced and cook i would if galley there was but i'll not lay me hand to murder tis not in the articles i'm the cook and cook you'll be for one minute more only sullivan said grimly at the same moment gripping the cook's head from behind and bending it back till the windpipe and jugular were stretched taut where's your knife mike pass it along at the touch of the steel gorman whimpered i'll do it if yous hold the boy the pitiable condition of the cook seemed in some fashion to nerve up o'brien it's all right gorman he said go on with it tis meself knows you're not wantin' to do it it's all right sir this to the captain who had laid a hand heavily on his arm you won't have to hold me sir i'll stand still stop your brethren and go and get the tureen cover behane commanded johnny sheehan at the same time dealing him a heavy cuff along the head the boy who was scarcely more than a child fetched the cover he crawled and tottered along the deck so weak was he from hunger the tears still ran down his cheeks behane took the cover from him at the same time administering another cuff o'brien took off his coat and bared his right arm his under lip still trembled but he held a tight grip on himself the captain's penknife was opened and passed to gorman mahoney tell me mother what happened to me if ever you get back o'brien requested mahoney nodded tis black murder black and damned he said the boy's flesh'll do none of yous any good mark me words ye'll not profit by it none of yous get ready the captain ordered you sullivan hold the cover that's it close up spill nothing it's precious stuff gorman made an effort the knife was dull he was weak besides his hand was shaking so violently that he nearly dropped the knife the three boys were crouched apart in a huddle crying and sobbing with the exception of mahoney the men were gathered about the victim craning their necks to see be a man gorman the captain cautioned the wretched cook was seized with a spasm of resolution sawing back and forth with the blade on o'brien's wrist the veins were severed sullivan held the tureen cover close underneath the cut veins gaped wide but no ruddy flood gushed forth there was no blood at all the veins were dry and empty no one spoke the grim and silent figures swayed in unison with each heave of the ship every eye was turned fixedly upon that inconceivable and monstrous thing the dry veins of a creature that was alive tis a warnin mahoney cried Leave the by alone mark me words his death'll do none of yous any good 
try the elbow the left elbow tis nearer the heart the captain said finally in a dim and husky voice that was unlike his own give me the knife o'brien said roughly taking it out of the cook's hand i can't be looking at ye puttin me to hurt quite coolly he cut the vein at the left elbow but like the cook he failed to bring blood this is all of no use sullivan said tis better to put him out of his misery by bleedin him at the throat the strain had been too much for the lad don't be doin it he cried there'll be no blood in me throat give me a little time tis cold and weak i am be lettin me lay down and slape a bit then i'll be warm and the blood'll flow tis no use sullivan objected as if ye could be slapin at a time like this ye'll not sleep and ye'll not warm up look at ye now ye've an ague i was sick at limerick one night o'brien hurried on and the doctor couldn't bleed me but after slapin a few hours and gettin warm in bed the blood came freely it's god's truth i'm tellin yez don't be murderin me his veins are open now the captain said tis no use leavin him in his pain do it now and be done with it they started to reach for o'brien but he backed away i'll be the death of yez he screamed take your hands off of me sullivan i'll come back i'll haunt yez wakin or sleepin i'll haunt yez till you die tis disgraceful yelled the hane if the short stick had been mine i'd a let me mates cut the head off of me and died happy sullivan leaped in and caught the unhappy lad by the hair the rest of the men followed o'brien kicked and struggled snarling and snapping at the hands that clutched him from every side little johnny sheehan broke out into wild screaming but the men took no notice of him o'brien was bent backward to the deck the tureen cover under his neck gorman was shoved forward some one had thrust a large sheath-knife into his hand do your duty do your duty the men cried the cook bent over but he caught the boy's eyes and faltered if you don't i'll kill you with me own hands behane shouted from every side a torrent of abuse and threats poured in upon the cook still he hung back maybe there'll be more blood in his veins than o'brien's sullivan suggested significantly behane caught gorman by the hair and twisted his head back while sullivan attempted to take possession of the sheath-knife but gorman clung to it desperately let go and i'll do it he screamed frantically don't be cuttin me throat i'll do the deed i'll do the deed see that you do it then the captain threatened him gorman allowed himself to be shoved forward he looked at the boy closed his eyes and muttered a prayer then without opening his eyes he did the deed that had been appointed him o'brien emitted a shriek that sank swiftly to a gurgling sob the men held him till his struggle ceased when he was laid upon the deck they were eager and impatient and with oaths and threats they urged gorman to hurry with the preparation of the meal lave it you bloody butchers mahoney said quietly lave it i tell yez ye'll not be needin any of it now tis as i said ye'll not be profitin by the lad's blood empty it overside behane empty it overside behane still holding the tureen cover in both hands glanced to windward he walked to the rail and threw the cover and contents into the sea a full-rigged ship was bearing down upon them a short mile away so occupied had they been with the deed just committed that none had had eyes for a lookout all hands watched her coming on the brightly coppered forefoot parting the water like a golden knife 
the head sails flapping lazily and emptily at each downward surge and the towering canvas tiers dipping and curtsying with each stately swing of the sea no man spoke as she hove to a cable length away the captain of the francis spate bestirred himself and ordered a tarpaulin to be thrown over o'brien's corpse a boat was lowered from the stranger's side and began to pull toward them john gorman laughed he laughed softly at first but he accompanied each stroke of the oars with spasmodically increasing glee it was this maniacal laughter that greeted the rescue boat as it hauled alongside and the first officer clambered on board end of section ten read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com